Welcome to the Atlas Project. It's a new world. To navigate it, we need new maps. Each episode, best-selling author Chris Katana and Scott Jones saw 50,000 feet above the immediate headlines in politics, economics, science, and society. The Atlas Project aims to reveal the big picture of where humanity is headed and the choices we all need to face. Chris, how are you? Oh, can I be honest? I'm low, I'm low on sleep the past couple of days. Two nights ago, uh, neighbors in our new building were playing loud, loud music till about 3, 4 a.m. And, you know, it's not it's not the ideal way to meet your neighbors. Did you <laughs> knock on the door? I did. I, did. I mean, I had to. You I had, had to. to. You had to. I had, to. I had to, to knock on the door. And I kind of, you know, and I had to knock, you know, you know, you know, you kind of, you knock somewhat hesitantly and and nothing happens and then you're like, okay i'm not disturbing the ecosystem of what's going on in there so you knock a bit more heavily and then a bit more heavily and then a lot more heavily and then this kind of waft of smoke comes in <laughs> into the hallway as the door opens so that was that was a couple nights ago. so did you take it as an opportunity as a political scientist to explain to them political theory about freedom where look you have certain libertarian freedoms except when your freedom impinges on my freedom so I, you're your freedom to get stoned and party is impinging on my freedom to sleep. You know, I, I, I believe that you would have done that. I missed that opportunity. And, and and now I want to go back to it. But you know what? Now, now my dread that this is going to be a recurring thing has been replaced with a kind of a hope that if it does recur, then that's what I can do. And provide Just bring a video. little whiteboard. Just bring a little whiteboard. <laughs> <laughs> like, all right, class. All right, dude, take a hit from the bong and say, "Class, I'm going to drop some dope knowledge on you right now." Because I think what's prob what what's probably happening here is is that you know we 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 probably took different civics classes growing up, and if and they had done had had a good civics teacher, they would know. Somebody would have said, "Well, look." We're impinging on the freedoms of our fellow democratic liberal citizens. What Alistair McIntyre would say is that me and my upstairs neighbor, what we lack is a is a is a shared tradition in which in which we could embed, you know, a, a mutually intelligible set of virtues upon which we could draw to 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 mediate these kinds of situations. We don't we don't we don't have a shared virtue language. That's the Alistair McIntyre would also say both you and your neighbors are part of a failed barbaric system that makes terrible people and makes inculcating virtue impossible. <laughs> okay, so, is, so, there's, <laughs> so there's a couple of things there, right? Right. So that was a couple of nights ago. Um, and then I thought We need was, to talk about that book, though, for our listeners. Um, Chris and I have talked about talking about that book. It's called After Virtue. It's one of these seminal kind of books on political and social theory. Um, and we will touch on it in an episode when we get around to it. I like that. It's a good idea. Yeah. We definitely need to add, uh, after virtue to the list of, of, uh, of great books that we, 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 we draw upon more than once because it's, uh, it's, tr it's tremendously helpful way of, of kind of naming something that's missing. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't know if I agree with everything he says, but I use that quite a bit. Anyway, anyway, where were we? Hi. <laughs> hey, how are you? All right, so, you're, yeah. so, you, so you're going to get more sleep tonight. How are you? Well, we'll see how this podcast goes. Exactly. I mean, sometimes I leave these and I'm just like, Rrr. can't believe that he said that to me. <laughs> <laughs> I left our last, last, last podcast feeling pretty energized. I thought we, it's a really fun conversation. Um, 
Yeah. Oh, I thought it was great too. I thought it was really good. I mean, a listener, a listener actually asked me, hmm. uh, um, a friend of mine who listens regularly, um, asked me, what were the first two versions of who owns your story? Like, <laughs> like i don't even remember i remember them being good i think i think the third one was the best i think but i don't know no no no. yeah that wasn't the last one we did last one we did it was just no i mean two i knew two episodes oh two episodes no i was just saying oh i see the guy was like talking about that he wanted to know the backstory because we had referenced this was the third time and he wanted to know like what how the first two went i was like oh my god i like like i got notes on that (laughs) i got ptsd about thinking about it Mm. well you know, we've been waiting for for quite some time for just the right moment to dive into this week's topics. I'm really excited that uh, that your president Joe Biden gave us gave us the moment because the question that we've been, you know, and this has been in the back of my, our minds for a while, and it's 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 kind of everywhere in in the world right now that in some ways I'm surprised we didn't we didn't grapple with it sooner. But 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 sometimes it's the it's the biggest and most obvious questions that that are the hardest to to pick up and to and to you know enter into and explore because the narrative that you're swimming in is just so pervasive that it feels like there's nothing, there's nothing to see. It's like oxygen. Um, and, and, and the question that we've had in our heads for a while is, are we part of nature? And yeah. So why don't you tell the story of why, why it felt like this is the week to, to plow into it. Yeah, so it's so interesting because so I was the other night, I mean a week or two ago, I was um I went out with a bunch of friends and we we're gonna go out and have a nice night in the town. And so no one wanted to drive, so they called an Uber and the Uber showed up and it was a Tesla, right? And it was a big, a pretty big um Tesla. Uh it was a sedan, but we got in it and it was a, and I said, I heard pickup of these things is great, and we're on this like secluded road, and she just hits the gas, right? Well, not the gas. She hits the accelerator because there is no gas. It's like she came to hit the gas. She hits the accelerator pedal, and this thing flew. I mean, like it was just like it was unbelievable. Uh, and so we started talking about her decision for getting this Tesla, and it was very interesting. She's driving Uber full time now. We, she's a lovely person. We had a really neat conversation. Uh, she was a really cool person. But it's interesting in the states a Tesla. Or a, a Prius or something. It's it's almost like a virtue signal car. It seems like like people buy them, and you do it. You pay more money, and then you pull in you know Whole Foods, and you pull you pull in the electric only thing, so everyone knows that you're you know can you could charge your car right, and then and right. you bring your own bags in. Yeah, you you, yeah. you you kind of you complete the lifestyle. You complete the look. Yeah, complete yeah, the look. You, you, yeah. You, 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 so so, but you know, oftentimes I, I Tesla think it's, as accessory. That's a, that's a pretty exactly. Good look. It's a te- it's a Tesla <laughs> look, right? Or it's Prius look, right? And, and you can virtue signal. It's like Game of Thrones when the, when the when um, uh, the queen when she's like paraded naked through the streets and everybody goes shame, shame. You can look at all the gas diesel engines and go shame, shame. <laughs> like, but 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 Ford made an announcement that over I forget the exact date, but over the pat over the next decade or decade and a half or so. Basically, they're completely phasing out internal gas, combustion engines, internal combustion F one fifties, the pickup trucks, 
Now the F one fifty, for those who 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 you know are not uh, part of the American listening audience, this is this iconic. It's the best selling vehicle in America. Is it the the best selling vehicle? The, the in number America. one selling vehicle. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, now again, some of that is just so much of the heartland, the farmland, the southeast, other places. Like, I mean, we see them everywhere, right? And so. Ford announced that they're only going to be electric over the next decade and a half or so, or 20, I forget what the phase out time is, but basically their biggest flagship in the foreseeable near future is only going to be electric. And Joe Biden kind of, uh, you know, he, he, he drove one, uh, he kind of demoed it and he was great. It's so, so Joe Biden. He's like, I'm a car guy. This sucker's fast. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like the guy just looks like he genuinely enjoys life, you know, which which is I think someone who's been in the school of suffering like he has. It's amazing his capacity to really be a joyful human. But um so yeah, so that I mean that has created this you know, electric spark of a, you know, forgive the, you know, it wasn't meant to be a play in words, but it's just electrified the conversation on this side of the pond around uh, around the, the future of renewables and right, and uh, who is electric for? And because it's, right. it, it, it's one thing to be selling, um, you know, an interesting how almost immediately in the zeitgeist, the Prius became this kind of cliche for a certain sort of person, right? You, you kind of like we were talking about in our in our in our last episode. You know, nowadays, if you are, you know. Uh, an actively practicing um, Christian in the United States. That's a great indicator for a lot of your politics. Um, and so too with, you know, either owning a, a Prius or a Tesla or, or owning uh, a Ford F-150. And, and, and suddenly that this vehicle is going to become an electric vehicle. It, 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 I think it messes up <laughs> the zeitgeist. You know, I'm just looking right now on the on the Ford 150 website and just just the language of how this vehicle is described it's it's the toughest most productive Ford 150 ever this is what happens when you merge premium grade muscle with intelligent designs a beast with brains relentlessly tough high strength military grade aluminum alloy body and tortured tested high strength steel frame with new tech to help you work smarter and harder i mean you can hear the voiceover when you read the the language it's so it's so carefully parsed to evoke uh the heartland right? Right, right right which is which is generally you know in the united states it's generally conservative it votes republican um feels alienated in, in, you know in in some ways from from what we call here in the states the coastal elites right like you know the people that live on the east coast in urban centers or in the west coast you know, there's this this sort of like animosity or, te- or maybe tension is is the right word, right? Like, so it's like the gas powered truck versus the Prius. But now you're going to have people who probably were Trump supporters and maybe still are buying electric trucks, <laughs> right? <laughs> and you're going to have these, you know, in in the mid and the then Midwestern stripping Walmarts. out and then stripping out the battery engines and putting in some <laughs> <laughs> rebuilt. <laughs> But this will mainstream things. I mean, this will make it so it's not, um, it's not this, it's, it's, it's the opposite of the Prius, right? It's this, it's this part of American life. I mean, I can't, I can't tell you how many contractors over that I've hired or plumbers or this, that, that pull up in an F-150, right? I mean, this is the kind of blue collar 
um, and literally engine of blue collar enterprise. Right. Right. And, and, and now this will be electric, right? So it's not going to seem like, Oh, electric car. I mean, is this guy kind of, you know, is he a real man or something like that? This will be normal. And, and it kind of, I mean, it, it, it almost, it, 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 it sort of draws this cutoff point, um, or, 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 or attempts to, or suggests that there could be one where, you know, environmental issues cease to be framed as, as they have been for, you know, much of the past 50, 60 years as a kind of a political question. As you know, if if you're the Green Party, you're you're somewhere on left of spectrum, and and why is that? Like, are we part of nature or aren't we? Yeah, and and you know we've had we've had the the luxury and the, and the capability of choice to make that choice of whether these are issues that I consider important that are that are um, that are going to make it to um, my my policy agenda or the agenda of the people that I'm going to be voting for. And then actions like this are, are one way of saying like, well, that, that was a kind that, that you might not have that luxury in the future. That actually was never really a choice. It was never really a political question. We framed it that way in our society, but, but now for, you know, various reasons, mainly, mainly the science and, and a growing sense of kind of urgency about, about, about some of the natural, the natural challenges that we face. That, I mean, that framing is going to be, is going to be over. You know, it's interesting. I think this happened this year, right? Where, um, in your home country of Canada, um, the conservative party basically voted that climate change is, is not a real issue. <laughs> like, I mean, I think th- th- there was, a, there was a motion or something because the new head of the conservative party in, in, in Canada, who is, uh, is this O'Toole? Aaron O'Toole? Yeah. Um, he, um, he wants the conservatives to take climate more seriously. And there was a motion to sort of take some mild steps to recognize it. And the conservative party says, no, <laughs> And, and that's interesting. So I'll, I'll just I'll just ask you a question. Let you riff on that. Like like think of what you just said. You know, the leader of the party we, wants them to take climate more seriously, which 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 you know still frames it as a choice. Right, right, right. Are you interested in climate? Are you interested in these environmental questions? Are you interested in you know policy reform to encourage innovation? Right? Are you interested in lower taxes? Pick one. Right? They're all kind of 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 a menu that somehow gets balanced and prioritized. That's how we've been thinking about this. Yeah, no, and and and, and they said, no, we're not interested in that. So yeah, so so it, it's sort of um and and what's interesting about that is I think it belies something under the question. Like no other species that I can think of has an option really to even reflect on these questions, right? Are we part of nature or not? Like, are we really, what's our relationship to nature, right? If you're a badger, a dolphin, um, an ape, you kind of, you, you take it, you know, for, for granted that you're in a kind of, well, you don't even think about it. You're just, you're in a relationship with, with the environment 
Um, and you, with the context of the, of the, of the planet you're on, uh, and, and you're in a, you know, complex ecosystem. Just a but side, we, just a quick side note there. I mean, I think, you know, from the late 1960s and photos of the earth from space had a huge impact of us being able to, to frame that question in the context of the planet we're on. Now we can see it. Nature ha- has a boundary. It's all right there. Sorry, didn't mean to interrupt. No, it's funny too because you. I mean, I rewatched the Planet of the Apes movies recently, and <laughs> I can't wait for this and, and connection the, to be drawn. What well, one of the one of the movies? I think it was it was. Um, and is it the original one? No, or, no, the uh, new ones. It was War for the Planet of the Apes. Andy Circus. I think it was the last one in the new series. Right. And Caesar, who is the kind of, you know, Abraham Lincoln founding figure, the, the apes, he's reflecting on what to do about the humans, right? And, and you know, the humans did something provocative and the apes want to respond and he's very cautious and he talks about what the apes have built and what they could lose. Right. And he's, I mean, Caesar is this great leader, but it's these apes become human. Right. So they're not apes anymore, really, in the sense of they're in a movie that where they get human drama. And so even though they're apes, they, they think and rationalize with their interests like humans. And now they can reflect on for the first time is this, and they start building, tree, right. they start building infrastructure. They ride horses, they do other things. Like they're starting to, have a different relationship to nature, to the environmental context they're in, right? That looks more human, right? That looks more like, hey, we're not just part of a symbiotic kind of um, interdisciplinary, inter, inter, interconnected thing. We're able to sort of to to bend nature to our will, right? We can transform our environment, yeah, at a at a at a greater scale than before, yeah. And the protagonists in the film, it, 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 there's something beautiful about this, that the protagonists, um, and they're kind of doomed. I mean, it goes back to our last conversation about Israel and Palestine. Caesar and this, the kind of, uh, the scientist that's a human, they develop this real friendship, but they're just doomed because it, 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 both the humans and the apes, there's this adversarial relation, relationship kind of going on. And um, I mean, it's just so intriguing though, but like, but that's, but that's the thing that makes the apes humanized, not just their family emotions, but they start to look like human society. They're starting to build things and domesticate other animals and stuff like that. And so that, it, it seems, is, is this hallmark thing about humans that part of our identity is we're not like the rest of nature. But, but we are. But we, I mean, Kierkegaard says that human beings, I mean, this is a little crass for our listeners, but... He says, we're the gods that shit. I mean, like basic. <laughs> and, and he says, you learn that. Another one for the show notes. <laughs> yeah. You learn that. Kierkegaard thinks like early on developmentally, like when you're a baby, you can barely speak, but you can cry and get milk. So you feel godlike power, but you can't control your bowels. And so this like, but this is the the, 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 the kind of eternal dilemma of human being, right? That we're the gods that can't control our bowels, right? And so we can we can harness new forms of energy. We've developed weapons that could basically ruin the planet 
for a lot of mammalian life. And yet we can't control our bowels and you have a stroke and you're debilitated. Right? So this kind of question of, of, you know, we can imagine our imaginations have almost infinite sort of horizons and yet we're trapped in infinitude. Right. And I, and I think like, how do we deal with the, with the kind of tension between our, our conception of infinity and our radical affinity? There, um, I remember giving a talk, it must be a couple of years ago now in New Zealand. And it was, uh, it was, it was one of those, one of those events where I, I really felt privileged to be a part of it. Kind of the, the, the gathering that came together. It was a number of um, sort of environmental leaders in New Zealand and, and uh, you know, from here, from here in Europe, uh, along with um, uh, a variety of, of, of Maori and, and, and indigenous and Pacific Island representatives. And we all kind of came together and, and the theme of, of the conference was, was very much around, like trying to integrate an understanding of nature and and what i what I attempted to do in 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 my keynote was sort of to kind of tell tell the story of the evolution of 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 western thought um toward the environment and and how do we how do we how did we depart from um, you know, a prehistoric understanding of, you know, just the oneness of nature. You're just a part of it, you know, sort of you're, you're Caesar in the apes before you've been awakened by this, you know, strange chemical concoction. Um, and so in, in some ways, um, the, there is no, there is no um, distinction between self and nature and 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 then some kind of understanding of the self emerges and then from there you start to understand that there's there's me the self and a relationship to the world around me and then you start to notice that the world around you kind of works in cycles and so you you start to feel um both a part of and you can you can you can respond to the the seasons and and you organize the planting and the harvest and and the kind of rituals of society around an understanding of how the world works uh, but you're also kind of trapped within that mythology and then you get to the ancient greeks you know socrates and plato who are able to say like wait a minute that that's a mythology that circle we we can also choose to kind of you know we apply the sort of directed rational energy you know, like um, more like a triangle, you know, my two eyes, the subject focusing on a point and object. And we can we can shatter that circle and and create specific knowledge of specific things of pieces of of reality. And then, you know, when we study these pieces, we're able to manipulate them and to create things that that never existed in nature before. And then we start to feel like these are our things. These are our creations, not nature's creations. And more and more of the world that we inhabit is full of our creations, not nature's creations. And, and I think you kind of, you take that forward a couple thousand years and that's sort of where we are today. Yeah. And where, I think just, just to add to your story though, like I mm-hmm. think that the pressure point or the real like thing is when you get in early Christianity, 
you get the Socratic tradition fused with the Hebrew Bible, right? So you have... Um, okay, tell me more. It, interesting, you have... It's funny because the Hebrew Bible is getting canonized and hammered out about the same time in the 6th century when Platonic stuff is getting hammered out, right? And they're not talking to each other. We're talking B.C. here. Yeah, B.C.E., yeah, B.C. Um, Sorry, B.C.E. So, B.C.E., that's the political <laughs> correct term. B.C.E., yeah, B.C.E., or we'll get canceled. Um, <laughs> <laughs> cancel us. Go ahead. Try it. No. Um, so, so you get... Like in the early church, the temporal bigots, <laughs> the temporal bigots, and it's not just the church; it's also Judaism does the same thing. You know, you have all these smart Christians and Jews who are not just reading the Hebrew Bible, but they're reading the best of Greco-Roman philosophy and stuff. And so, you're getting this this um, what you're what you're describing, right, with Plato and Aristotle, a really different understanding of our relationship to, you know. To, I guess what they would say, it would be fair to say that Plato and Aristotle would call it the created order. But then also you look at, you know, the book of Genesis, which says, you know, there's, there's, it's funny because, you know, when you look at the seven days of the creation myth, if you put them on two tablets, day one lines up with day four, day two day lines up with day five. So on, on day one, God makes the heavens and the earth. What happens on day four? Um, there are the the star the things that populate this right like when God makes the sea on the parallel day if you put these out in tablets it's it's the things that crawl on you know that swim in the sea and the are bird. you telling me there's a hidden code in the Bible there is a hidden code no, <laughs> but but the author is just basically saying it's not it's not a hidden code but it's if you were reading it the way w- they were right on tablets right it's set up in a way that looks like okay so the way the creation's ordered is that God first makes these these thing contexts for beings to exist and then at an appropriate time populates the context. Right. So you go like, so day, day, the last day is dry land and you get creepy crawly insects and mammal animal or animals and stuff. And then humans come last. Like we're the, le- we're the best for last kind of thing. Right. Right. And then day seven is the Sabbath. So it's this seven day, it's kind of a cycle, but more linear. And so when you get the Hebrew Bible mixed with, with Greco-Roman philosophy, you start to think we're not just a part of this thing, right? In fact, God is, mm. God is even ordained we're not just a part of this thing. Right. This, is, this, is, this thing is for us. Yeah. Although I think in defense of the Hebrew Bible, there's a stewardship kind of thing. Like, I mean, there's not this sort of thing like mm. abuse the earth or something. I mean, I mean the, the author is trying to convey a unique presence for human beings, and yet... Um, it, 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 like to to steward and be responsible, but yet there is still a kind of privileged space where Adam's naming the animals in the, in the next chapter and all right. that stuff. And right, right, um, there's a chain it, of being. Yeah, and we're somewhere above the beasts and below the angels, but we're yeah. above the beasts. And I think that story has potential. I mean, some of my hmm. greatest friends and colleagues who are real um, ecological kind of activists and actors are from these religious traditions. But some, but also, I mean, I think, and I say this as someone in the kind of religious tribe, I think people that, have, that use religious texts in ways that are ecologically irresponsible outweigh the people that read the text responsibly. I mean, that's just honest. <laughs> so let's take... This is great. So now 
now I feel like I have so much more understanding to look at this uh, at this paper that I, that I shared with you a couple of days ago. By the way, this is what geeks do. If you don't know, geeks share papers. Like Chris sent me this paper. This is this is really making the stop rounds. everything. And the po- stop and everything. The policy. You have to read this PDF. So, so the night, you know the, how you knew I was a geek. I read it and I texted back. I'm like, this is fantastic, right? <laughs> right. I told you so. I told you so. Well, we had we 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 did uh, we did not just an episode but a series of episodes a few weeks ago about reframing. And, and what does the frame make you see? And, you know, I, it, it was an opportunity to talk a lot about um, bias and, and implicit bias and things like that. But, but it was also an opportunity to, to recognize that there are so many kind of cognitive frameworks that, that, that influence what how we understand the world around us, most of which we're not even aware of. But when you can, when you can become aware of the framework, um, suddenly it, it brings all sorts of new actions into play. You can warp the frame, you can tear up the frame, you can change the frame, you can accept the frame. And, and I didn't realize until I read this paper what, what the frame in my head around around nature and and specifically sustainability um is or maybe it was because i feel now that the now the frame has changed so okay so so that's that's a very bad <laughs> preface for for this paper Let, before we kind of go into it and why i think it's so interesting um how it how it challenges what you know you've just now described is is several thousand years of our edifice for how we think of our relationship with nature. Um, but the, the context is this was sent to me by uh, a friend um, just a few days ago, and it was published just about three weeks ago. Uh, my friend is uh, a, a, a senior, a senior um, politico, let's say, in, inside a, a large G7 government. Um, and he sent me this paper and, and he said to me, like, Chris, stop everything. You got to read this paper. Why? Because this is this is the script. Now, this paper is flying all over the place. People like me, environment ministers, you know, senior senior government leaders all around the world. We're looking at this paper. We're reading this document and we're, we're, we're lining up our thinking behind it and saying, yeah, this is the next step. This is what we're going to do next. This is, this is going to be a big part of um, the global agenda at upcoming global meetings in 2021 and 2022. So read this paper. And then you open it up and you think, God, I'd love to write a paper that had like that many uh, presidents and CEOs and chairs, peoples and directors of, of like mega institutions um, as, as co-authors of the paper and it's called a nature positive world, the global goal for nature. But, um, I got to catch my breath. I'm so excited talking about it. <laughs> wow. This is, by the way, this is a very nature positive podcast for all the nature lovers out there. We're just, we can't even talk about this without losing our breath. <laughs> so, you know, 
I did a I did a Google image search for sustainable development. And the picture that came up, and I realized this is the picture in my head, is a, a Venn diagram. And there are three circles. And one of the circles is economy, and the other is society, and the other is environment. And sustainable development is the intersection of those of those three circles. And that just that just made sense for me. That was as I look back over the past many years, as I look, you know, this week at the conversations that, you know, Joe Biden, like putting pedal to the metal on that Ford 150 prompted in, in your own politics. That is the that is the picture. That is the frame in people's heads. They're saying, like, yeah, this environment stuff is important. But there are these other things that are also important. And if we had done this podcast a month ago, let's say you and I just decided to do this and we could have, there were other environmental stories. There are environmental stories all the time. We would have embraced the Venn diagram. I guarantee it. I mean, I would bet the farm. I would bet well, all the money in my pocket versus all the money in your pocket. How else that would, we would, that we would have done that. How else would you draw sustainable development? Right. It's, 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 there is this contest between these, um, well, uh, these competing sets of interests, and and sustainable development is is finding the sweet spot, kind of figuring out the overlap between those competing set of interests, and and, and then and then try to stay in that sweet spot, and the stuff outside of the sweet spot got to exclude it, right. And you want to stay inside and, and, and try to grow that sweet spot. And, and can we just say for our listeners again, what I forget the three that's economy, society, and, and environment, environment, right. Or nature, I guess. Or nature. Right. Yeah. And, and so what would, so practically we would say, okay, we're building a factory, right? Um, society is, we need energy, right? We, we just need to keep the lights on, right? We need, we need people, you know, yeah, we need, yeah. we need, we need educated people, we need well-fed people. We need healthy people. Right. And then na- nature would be, the nature voice would be, well, what are the emissions and other kind of right. environmental We need raw factors. materials. We need, right. yeah. yeah, yeah. And then the third one would be, what would be the example there? Well, it, the economy. We need, we need products. We need services. Right. We need customers. Right. We need, we need money. We need these things to make it fit together. And so like, inter- but, and I thought that made total sense. And now, now I see it. Now I see the limitations of the frame. Because interesting, like, so the question that we're asking today, are we part of nature? That, that Venn diagram says, well, no, nature is a part of this thing. Right? Nature, nature comes in at, at the overlap. And a lot of the time, it's not a part of what we're doing. And that's the problem that this picture is trying to solve. So we need to figure out how to make nature a part of, of what we're doing. And so basically this, this paper, which, and, and given the context of, of what you've laid out, the, 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 the Greco Roman Hebrew origins of how you and I, at least think about our relationship with nature. I don't know if, this paper could have been written 10 years ago, 20 years ago, hundred years ago, 250 years ago, or if it, or it would have been just, been in, nobody would have understood. Yeah. So what, what do we do with that? But, but the frame that it introduces is to say, 
okay, this economy, society, environment, forget about the competing set of interests, forget the Venn diagram. These are not competing interests. What we are talking about here is a hierarchy. And, and there is economy and society is the context in which economy happens. Um, economy is a, is a, is a, is an aspect of society and the environment is the context in which society lives. And so it's never about, uh, making trade-offs. It's, it's always about, uh, creating the most, um, the most, um, I, I'm looking for the adjective, the best context in which economy and society can flourish. Yeah. Or having the most awareness of your situatedness in the sense of like, we're situated, things are situated in different contexts. And I, and I you know, I think the eco-friendly reading of the book of Genesis would be that like in Genesis one, the context gets built and then humans are in it. Right. And so humans come last and they're the most, one of the most fragile things in the context. Right. Like, and so that, I mean, that kind of idea that look, we're not, nature isn't an interest group, (laughs) but, but that's the thing. It's almost like we reify nature and economy, right? Like, so we make nature and economy, conscious agents almost f- with the diagram. So, well, so they're acting, it's like, and then it's like nature has its lobbyists, right? Right. And the economy has its lobbyists, right? And these, and so we give it this sort of um, anthropomorphized face where I think that what the paper does really well is saying, no, 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 no. Nature gives birth to this really weird and, and fascinating thing called human society, you know, mille- millennia ago. And then, and we figured out economies, right? When, once you get out of hunter-gatherer kind of realities where everybody does everything and, 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 and the economy is ultra-localized, if you, if you could even call it an economy, right? Like, but no, we, 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 we trade with the tribes and do all these things and, and then states come about. And then, so we have this thing called economy that exists in this very fragile thing called society, which exists in, in, in a thing that seems not fragile, right? Nature just doesn't seem fragile. Right. Right. And so we can take it for granted and take the, 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 um, the services that it provides to, um, to humanity, uh, for granted, because there's nothing really we can do to, you know, to, to interfere with the supply of, of those nature provided, components you know it's funny mark twain famously he's got this great quip where he says you know when i left home at 18 my father was the most ignorant person i'd ever met when i came home at 21 i real i I was shocked at everything he learned (laughs) right i mean (laughs) like like this this thing where like we're nature it's this thing where i think in late modernity we're seeing its wisdom uh, its significance. Well, I think we're seeing so, and and, you, and now there's there's even a, a TLA. There's a three letter acronym now for for this, which is NCP, Nature's Contributions to People, and 
you know, now in the scientific community, I think there are different, there are 18 different categories of nature's contributions to people. Um, you know, um, they're, they're what they call like regulating NCPs. And these are things like, you know, creating habitat and maintaining it, you know, pollination, uh, dispersing seeds, um, you know, air quality from forests, you know, climate, um, you know, fresh water, soil formation, all these different things that, that you, we basically rely upon for, you know, food and materials and, and uh, you know, um, weather that we can grow things in and survive in. And then there are these, so there's like, the, the, there's this regulatory layer, regulating layer that nature provides us. And then there's this material layer, which is things like energy and food and feed and, um, you know, animal companionship and labor and, you know, medicinal products and, 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 and genetic resources. And then I find it interesting that, you know, scientists, they now, you know, if they've classified a non-material nature contribution to people, which is things like inspiration and, and physical and psychological experiences. Um, but, but all of this now is a kind of like attempt to systematically um, take that, what is the, you use a beautiful word, not, not robustness or strength of nature and kind of, and kind of recognize its elements, recognize all of the ways that that context makes possible. Um, this kind of, you know, the, these, these, um, other aspects of, 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 of our lives, like the society we're in and, and the economy that we're in. Let me, I'm trying to figure out the segue and I can't, so I'm just going <laughs> to skip to it. So why, why isn't it just obvious? Right. So if you think of the Venn diagram of sustainable development and yeah, these are competing interests, economy, society, environment. And we've been trying to figure out the the balance of those competing interests. And then and then you realize, whoa, that's that's not it. This isn't a competition, this is a hierarchy. And and it makes total sense. It's 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 actually blindingly obvious. Which and, and so in a sense, like there's nothing in this paper. Right? There's nothing there's nothing but a lot of words and statistics and references. It's a very highly referenced paper. And a but lot there's of a great diagram. There's a great diagram. There's a right? But it's 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 all of this fancy language and a lot of it is sort of the rarefied language of like international policymaking to say nothing new. And yet it's it's profoundly unsettling. In a good way. So can you help me understand what's going on there? So I think this is like what we try to do on this podcast. And and they did it really well, right? Um, it's what happens when Socrates emerges and the scene in Greece and just says, you know what? Like, really, couldn't we do better than Homeric deities for finding the true, the good, and the beautiful? I mean, most of us think the gods are problematic. I mean, they're, the, the Euthyphro dialogue is my favorite thing to throw at undergraduates. When, when basically, as, now this is another book for our list. Yeah, the Euthyphro dialogues. It basically, it's Euthyphro is going to prosecute his dad um, for something he did to a slave, 
And he thinks he's really pious. And Socrates says, well, I mean, you're, you're prosecuting your father. I mean, is that pious? And he's just asking questions. And the whole thing winds up in this big question about, is something good because the gods love it? Or do the gods love it because it's good? And it's this meta question that, that basically intellectually destroys these kind of traditional Zeus, Thor, Odin paradigms, right? Like, and, 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 and really right. sets Western philosophy in a different flawed and, and, you know, problematic, but, but uh, I mean, I think most of us would look at it and say, it's an evolution about how to think about what the good life is and what human flourishing looks like. And I, I think like there are these moments where when we get stuck, you start asking questions, right? And, and, and you look for new frames and you look for new stories that make sense because the old stories just are, are, are really crackling and are not servicing people again, pragmatically, existentially, intellectually. Right. And so this paper, like, it's funny that like, I'm kind of surprised. I mean, I'm an environmental guy. Like, I, I mean, look, I try to live a sustainable life and stuff like that. But I was pretty surprised, and reading through the paper, reading through the paper, and when I saw those pictures, and we'll put those in the show notes, or we'll link to them. We're, we'll have to, it, yeah. It's fascinating, because when you look at the Venn diagram versus what this UN paper is proposing, it's like, oh my gosh. It's like when you, you know those things that used to be popular, like in the 80s and like early 90s, like where you stood at those posters and if you looked long enough, an image emerged from it. Like, oh yeah. I mean, th that's kind of the thing, right? Like you're looking at the image and something emerges that's really powerful and it actually has more explanatory power. It's a paradigm kind of shift in the sense of what happens with paradigms is, is one paradigm replaces another. It doesn't totally discount everything the other paradigm had, but it kind of disassembles it and reassembles it in a story that it, that is just tells a bigger, fuller, more robust story. And I think that, I mean, that's the thing that it's amazing that like that, I mean, yeah. well, this is why they need to hire you because like, I feel like if the UN hired you, you could tell a story about this paradigm <laughs> instead of a 30 page <laughs> position paper. Well, well, yeah. So, you know, the, the, the paper is for the geeks like us. Um, they do tell a story. Actually, we should say the, the website for all of this is naturepositive.org. And I just checked it out and, and the paper is, is there. It's the first item on the list. And if you're even more geek than me, you can also read the summary for policymakers. Although, no, 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 no. The summary for policymakers, that's the one pager. Boring. Who wants to one pager? Who wants to one pager? We're going to get this podcast on the list. We're going to tell them. <laughs> that's right. Put if us you, on the list. If you want to create engagement with your paper, you need to add this as the preface. This this like rambling exploration of what how how, how Joe Biden really popularized his paper. Yeah. Um, I've got to, I got to reach out to um, to some of my friends in his administration and say like this is what you need to do. But listening to you just then, you answered my question. Why? Why is something so obvious feel profound to read it? And it's because, I wrote this down, it's obvious, but it's not our present paradigm. And that's why the obvious is profound. And, 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 and that is why it wasn't that, wasn't that, um, how to say this, 
the problem is that the Venn diagram is so useful because it rather than rather than upend the present paradigm it it named nature as a stakeholder in the existing competition of you know of policy of interests and so like yeah so so when when uh and I've got to talk to somebody who was like there in 1972 at the Brundtland Commission or something like that. And, you know, like the, uh, I think what, what were like the key dates in, in sort of like the modern establishment of an environmental thinking framework? There was, um, there was the Stockholm Declaration in 1972. There was the Brundtland Report in the late 80s. Um, there was Rio in 1992. But, I'll bet that before they had the Venn diagram, they had some kind of dyad, right? There's economy and society. And so the big breakthrough was, holy shit, nature is a circle too. The environment is in this picture. And that that was the big framework. Like, we are not talking about this at all. We've got to put it on the table. And it's one of these interests we've got to start incorporating into our negotiations on everything that we do. Um and now this is sort of the next evolution of saying like, well, now we, that paradigm was wrong. The paradigm before it was wrong. We're, 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 we're trying to recover that, that original oneness that, you know, we, we, we possessed for free as, as, uh, as prehistoric animals by saying like, no, 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 it's, it's 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 a nested it's russian dolls is basically what the new picture is anyway that was a bit of a ramble but but that what you just said hit me so profoundly that yeah it's obvious but it's not how we presently think and that's why changing it is profound there, it's really interesting there's this hymn that i love um I mean, hymns are funny because you don't get to sing them all the time. Like, and they're only powerful when you sing them together, right? So you, you just wait for your favorite hymn. It's like karaoke or something. You, you go to church and you wait for your favorite hymn and then you sing it with gusto. And maybe you're sitting next to someone that can't carry a tune. Do you have it's a favorite right. hymn? Well, I have a couple, but like this is one called All Creatures of Our God and King. We'll link to it. And it, it starts like all creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice and with us sing, Alleluia, Alleluia. And then it goes particular. It says, thou burning sun with golden beam, thou silver moon with softer gleam, oh, praise him, oh, praise him. Alleluia, Alleluia. And it says, thou rushing wing that art so strong, he clowns that sail in heaven um, along. Oh, praise him. And they just like, thou rising moon in praise rejoice. Ye lights of evening, evening, find a voice. Thou flowing water, pure and clear, make music for thy Lord to hear. And then they praise fire. Like, thou fire so masterful and bright, thou givest man both warmth and light. Dear Mother Earth, who day by day unfoldest blessings on her way. And, and they talk about flowers and fruits um, and they even talk about death. Like there's this line that says like, ye who long, ye who long and long pain and sorrow bear, 
Praise God and on him cast your care. And now most kind and gentle death, waiting to hush our latest breath. And then the last line is that uh, that leadest home the child of God and Christ our Lord the the way hath trod. Let all things their creator bless and worship him in humbleness. But there's this beautiful thing that's not, and it starts with, it actually starts with the UN paper. It starts with sun and moon, right? So it's the circle. And it gets and it gets even to the most particular human experience of death, right? And so, you know, what I've never thought about is singing that hymn and I've never thought about the people that were mourning when we sung it, hmm. but even, even mourning, right. The human experience of mourning M O U R um, is only possible by mourning M O R N I N G like the, the, the dance of the sun and the moon and, and these kind of things. I mean, it's the power of like, and I think that him, I think goes back to, in legend, St. Francis of Assisi, who used to spend all this time in, in, in nature. Right. And, and people used to say like he was kind of a little crazy. He would like dance playing. He would like pretending he was playing a fruit, a flute, like with like birds and deer. And like, he would just run around. I mean, there's a beauty to that though, of, of, of a song that can reframe. Um, and, and he, and this is in all traditions, right? Like, a lot of indigenous um, people groups have these sort of songs and chants and rituals. And I don't know how we, we find a new story. Um, you know, sometimes we go on these conversation journeys and I, I don't quite know where we're going to land. Um, where I've landed today is, is appreciating, and this is your gift. You know, what, what is the question that sets us forth. And, and this question, which you crafted for us, are we part of nature is, is absolutely the question for, for all of us to be thinking about, and especially when you're geek geeking out on, you know, like an uber influential policy paper that just got launched. Oh my God. I th- the, the ink is still wet. Um, Cause are we part of nature? I mean, obviously we aren't. And that's why, you know, this Venn diagram was developed to say like, Hey, it's there. We're not, we're not with it. Um, so we got to kind of bring more of that into our reality because we are not part of nature. Yeah. And, what and yet, I like obviously about the, we are. And what and, I like about that hymn though, I'm imagining mm-hmm. like some mythical choir director saying like, and, and the sun and the moon sing their parts. Right. And they're all like, they're all singing in parts. Right. Like, and, and that's what the Venn, the, the Venn diagram doesn't do. It's like, well, these people aren't going to come sing a hymn together. <laughs> like, right. like society's got their hymns. Like, like you know, the 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 Wall Street hymn is "Oh, Dow, you are the greatest thing," like or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, but the, this kind of with the UN paper, I feel like unveils is this ancient wisdom from lots of traditions that we're there's an organic relationship and it, it's messy and and complex. 
but also the gift of being human is we can tell a story. Like a, a badger can't tell a story. A swallow can't tell a story. I mean, hippos, which are the fascinating thing. Like I, I would love to just like play with a hippo. I've seen videos where people play with hippos. Like I, I'm sure they're in reserves and stuff, but, but only human beings can tell the story of nature. It can, can actually be nature's mouthpiece. And and in some ways, maybe that's the. the Does that, nature that's have part, a mouthpiece? And that's kind of us. Right. But, but in some ways that's part of the tragedy, right? Yeah. In, in that, in that all of this, all of this is kind of coming to the fore um, from, from crisis. Yeah. From, from a, a necessity to, to articulate and make explicit the ways that all that we have built, all that we are in attempt to sustain relies upon, um, this natural context being there, like uh, in, in the paper and, you know, and, and, and it, it, the paper, it, it requires that it, that it finds the language of economy and society to explain these things. You know, there's you know, statistics like something like half of global GDP is moderately or highly dependent upon that, upon natural services uh, is, is a statistic there and all, you know, and it's all just trying to find language to, to make compelling um, what is real. And so, and so there is a kind of tragedy that, that we we are we are the ones who can can tell nature's story um and and yet it seems that the 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 dominant mode is still um to treat nature as silent and and that and that's the problem so we kind of we've we've missed this glorious opportunity but then I everybody, suppose, all, yeah, go ahead. All of our listeners should just go watch Star Trek Four because that is an underrated film where this probe shows up and it wants to talk to whales. Good take because away. whales are older than we are, and they go back in time and and it's great because Spock, who's who died and was resurrected, and is trying to find himself, but he he can talk to the whales like he mind melts and the whales are unhappy <laughs> like and, and they want to help and the whales want to help human society they're kind of like we would go with you to the future Bo- um, bonus points to any listeners who can tell us the name of the whales george and glacy <laughs> what it, it's gracie is it really yeah 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 was, no it's george i and can't glacie. give you points yeah you can't give me points but but they're but they're, they're, I love when they beam the whales up and and Scotty goes, Captain, there'll be whales here. <laughs> no, but the beauty is like this 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 advanced society that has eliminated war, is multicultural, um, it's interplanetary. I mean, there's always others, right? Romulans, Klingons, but 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 it, you know, charitably, I mean, it's it's an advanced human society. And it shows that, oh my gosh, we built this society and because we killed whales, we, we endangered ourselves. And, 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 they, and the beautiful thing at the end of the movie is 
they bring the whales into the San Francisco Bay and Kirk just goes, Spock, why won't they sing? And they start singing and the probe leaves. They say, like, it was the whale song that saved the world. So, I mean, you want, you want the biggest choir you can get, really, <laughs> with mm-hmm. as many voices as you can get. Um, and whales do sing, and it's beautiful. You can go on YouTube and, and listen to them sing. I had, um, as a kid, I found this um, archive. Um, someone had thrown them out, and I took them home. I was so proud of them, of, of National Geographic's old National Geographic magazine. I had one from 1930-something, and it was always so fun to look at the advertisements with these, like, you know, ancient cars and weird appliances. But one of them had a, uh, like, a special gift, which was a, a flexible record, like an LP, of whale songs, of whale music. It was a, It was an insert in... Um, in the magazine, I remember playing that that like whale song. I should find the edition of the National Geographic that had the whale songs and see if I can see if I can recover it from from the library. And it's just this magical experience. What was magical about it? How I guess I had never. Listened to nature in in quite that way before, and I was a young kid, and it was kind of it was almost like my first meditative experience, maybe in a time when I didn't there wasn't a a language and a culture here. You know, you know, Dharma had not sort of moved west the way it has today, um, but just to pause and to to think of. Of, of of nature and, and whales as producing music and and to appreciate it you know for I guess in you know f- in in some ways it was a it was the first real returning to um, my status of ape and 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 recovering um, some of the intuitive, connection to my environment uh, to my context that 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 the ape in me has I, I wasn't I, I wasn't thinking all those things I was like oh this is cool shit <laughs> <laughs> look I found a record Did nobody else understand how amazing it is somebody had just thrown away all these magazines look mom I've brought them all home <laughs> Now, where can I put them? I don't get why why other people didn't understand how how exciting a discovery um, that was. Like this paper, and I and I really appreciate that uh, that it was sent to me, and then I sent it to you, and then and then we 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 had a conversation about it. And so my recommendation is that um, read the paper. We'll put the link in the show notes. Don't don't you know wimp out and and read the summary for policymakers. Go go all the way in. Yeah get the proper paper. And as you're reading it, 
I, I, yeah, I think a great question to ask is why is something so obvious so profound? Yeah. And, and, and I think it's a great and, 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 and really valuable insight into um, how, how, how unnatural um, some of our paradigms of thought can, can actually be. Um, and, and, and I think the power of, of recognizing that inside ourselves, um, you know, if we can develop that muscle, yeah. it, it, it can be the most like radically liberating and inspirational and, and kind of like font of genius capacity in us to be able to notice, uh, the, the, the frames. Limiting yeah, and maybe what's... also I'd recommend if you read it, talk about it with a friend, if you can. Um, and there are people in the base camp community you could get join base camp and, and just post and probably get to know some people that are thinking on these kind of wavelengths. Cause I think the power us of our it, clubhouse on Monday, join us in our clubhouse on Mondays, like just come in and talk with us because I think it, had I not talked with you about it, I would have missed, I mean, T.S. Eliot has this great thing this quote, we had the experience, but we missed the meaning. And I think some of this is, is also just um, like life is not, life is a team sport and you find people that you can connect with in meaningful ways. And yeah, so this is the kind of thing where like, I think you, you grappling with it with someone uh, who, you know, you know, from any kind of context, you know, you, social media, neighbor, something, you know, will help. Totally agree. I mean, yeah. Cause on, on another level, Oh, it's just a paper, like, you know, um, it's, it's the, it's the intention we bring with bring to it. And, and the, um, the, the refinement or, or, or reframing of our own thinking that we do in, in dialogue with it um, and with one another, I think is, is cool. The, the other thing that is just kind of just, you know, yeah, I, I mean, again, we're geeks, so not for everyone, yeah. but for me is cool is, is you read this and you realize that, that, uh, I mean, there are, uh, there's a set of extremely influential minds around the world right now who are reading these exact same words. Yeah. Um, and you know, so you want to know what it's like to be a, you know, a, a person in a, you know, formal leadership position of power in, you know, major countries or giant corporations read the paper. That's what they're doing. Yeah. Um, same thing. Yeah. Scott, I really appreciate um, the experience of reading this paper with you. And and I had no idea that it was going to um, just open up such such significant reflections on 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 the human condition and, and the history of now, right? How we've come to be where we are. Um, it's been a great journey for me. So thank you for it. And uh, thank you, my friend. Yeah, yeah. As always, it's a good one. I can't wait for the next one. Yeah, which I think we're going to talk about money. Which would be, you know, that would be a really good like 
kind of, I don't know if it's an Aikido move or a jujitsu throw um, to really kind of careen from, from one part of that Venn diagram to another. Um, and we've been talking for a couple of weeks now that, you know, with everything that's going on in this, you know, all the buzz around cryptocurrency and, and a lot, and for a lot of other reasons, it's time to kind of grapple with what money means. Yeah. Now. Cause money is value in our culture and we need to think about the relationship between money and value. Well, I've got a whole bookshelf now of, I'll unveil it when we talk about this next week. But you think about like everyone from, you know, Marx to Hayek, uh, who have talked about the role of money um, in society, measures of value. Um, I think there's a lot for us to unpack there. So we'll, we'll wait for a really timely moment. Either it'll be a big dip or a jump in Bitcoin. Maybe, maybe Elon Musk will say something about it. Um, and, and when we do it, I will reveal the strategy where you can win every Monopoly game with your family. What? Yeah, there's a strategy. I'm not going to reveal it on air right now. After we stop recording, I'll tell <laughs> you, you what the strategy You can't do that to me. I'll tell you no, okay, okay, when, we, okay. when we stop the recording. Okay. I, I will Fine. unveil it publicly okay. Okay. in the money show. But, you're but gonna... there is a way that if you follow it... And it, it's dependent on a couple of rolls of the dice. And, and you're going to tell me right away. Is, I'll tell you right I get to know. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Amazing. And then All we'll right. unveil it. Well, then we got to go. Every, great chat. Great chat. A lot this of fun. Got to go. Thanks for listening to The Atlas Project. We'd love to hear your feedback. Drop us a line or send us a message on Facebook. If you really like what we're doing, please rate us on iTunes and write a review. It helps so much as we're just getting off the ground. Thanks for listening and facing the new world with us.